2020. Today we discuss Q&A and what our faces look like. I am Michael Askins, Architect Taste Labs, and this is the Technology Architecture Solution Engineering Show. How are you doing, Mr. Carl? I'm good, and I'm confused about this this week's agenda. So. Yeah, I know. I really, did, I really didn't give you any uh, any tip off to this, right? Aside from like group texting someone, and I'm like my brain's elsewhere. <laughs> what our faces look like? This will be good. Yeah. So we just yeah. lost all of our subscribers. Go cool. <laughs> so we're not gonna we're not actually gonna discuss what our actual faces look like, but I wanted to bring up something that's been circulating around the news, and that is mostly. Things like Microsoft is telling the police that they're not going to sell them facial recognition capabilities at all until there's new privacy laws passed. That's kind of huge. That's kind of huge, right? That is and, huge. And I think, and I think, some of these police departments are shopping around the technology and trying to get AWS uh, on board. Because I think I heard a story that AWS said something similar. I can't verify that. Uh, I tried to verify that before we recorded, but you know, it's just one of those things where you know there is privacy laws. You own your likeness, and where you go and what you do. So it's one of those tech things because it's you know on our platforms that we support and we provide but it's also kind of a legal privacy thing what are your thoughts on that how do you feel about your your likeness or your prints or your dna or your signature be it some biological signature let's call it that your biological signature how do you feel about that that's that's an interesting question. I think that for me and, and most in my generation, we don't really I don't want to say we don't care, but it's less of an issue for us, I think. Um, whereas for uh, the older generations, it's more of a weird thing, almost solely just because we've kind of grown up with it. We've grown up with the the lack of 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 privacy online and, and posting things and stuff like that. So it's not really as much of a shock uh, to me and my uh, my generation, but I could definitely see how it's something that, despite me knowing that it's not really a huge deal for me, I know that it, it could be a huge deal for others for a variety of reasons. So I definitely think that rules need to be enacted that make it so privacy is upheld. Uh, and I think that just making it up to the individual, whether they want to participate or not, for whatever reason. Yeah, for sure. So, so that's the thing that I often get at odds with is like, or at least I get called out on the carpet with is like, you know, I mentioned from an enterprise perspective and even from a personal perspective, I use a lot of Microsoft services, but personally I use a ton of Google stuff, especially I'm an Android guy, right? So, you know, Google maps and it looking at where I go and what I do and the timing and like, you are going to be late unless you leave now because it knows my schedule because it kind of infers where I'm at that stuff. Um, see, I don't mind that because it's making my life better. And as we saw during lockdown, it started giving doctors and scientists, uh, information because they took you know people's location data and were able to see outbreaks based upon people's movement and habits right so it's super uh 
it's it's super personal and because I don't want someone coming to me and telling me I am taking this information, but I am willing to consent to it. Um, but I also understand the greater good. So like if there's known images of people, how are you doing, Dexter? Audience, welcome okay. to Dexter. There's Dexter. The dog. There's the Dexter. Um, oh, so one of the things that like if they have images of known bad actors and, you know, maybe there's a credible threat in a metropolitan area and there's cameras that are able to help at least do the first phase of identifying maybe their their whereabouts, you know, and it could potentially save lives. Like, who are we to say that my my face and likeness is more important to that of all of those that would be impacted? So so there is a greater good component that tugs on me a little bit now and again. So I think that, you know, it's one of those things where if your image is, is, is cursorily used for like, I'm looking at you and comparing you to somebody else and then I'm going to throw you away kind of a thing because you didn't match a criteria. I'm okay with that because that's a greater good kind of a thing. But I, I find it interesting now um, and I, we don't want to get too political here because, you know, we support people and movements and rights of people and their ability to live. But we also also understand police need to do their work. So there's that component too as well. But, you know, people's rights and the right to live is greater than that of not being a a fundamentally decent human being so we're not going to go down that rabbit hole too deep here because we do talk about technology but i will i will say that having tools in the right hands being used properly is a good thing so i'm gonna i'm gonna liken it to you saw the batman the nolan batmans right oh yes yes yeah all three do you do you remember when uh the, the, the Joker one, right? So there's the boats. Yes. They're out there. And, mm-hmm. and, and they, use, this is where you're going. they use the triangulation, but then they like nuked it all when it was done because they, they the greater good was served and we're not going to... There's got to be some equivalent to that um, and protection to that so that you can't be, can't be used for bad. Yeah, I think that um, you brought up a good point with that where... Um, I think that my comfort with it is there's a little asterisk at the end of that to a certain extent of what people are using that information for. You know, some people say, don't put this or that on on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Um, And I just I just I don't care. I know I know a big one with um, my parents and I is my my parents are big on not posting your license plate online. Oh, yeah. somebody could track you and blah, blah, blah. And my thought is a lot of people know where I live. Um, you know, I buy things online. My address is everywhere. You could drive by my house and see my license plate or when I drive down the road, people will see me and see my license plate. So for me, I'm like, I don't care, but there's some people that, that do that. And I would care if I start, you know, people, there's this big hack and people are hacking into something. And so I guess it depends on what you're, what you're using that information for. Uh, if you like when I get, targeted ads on Facebook because I looked up something I'm kind of like, eh, that's kind of creepy, but it's not like I'm going to, you know, start putting my tinfoil hat on. I'm just like, well, I mean, that's a better ad than something I don't care about, I guess. So whatever. But if they start using that information for kind of bad things, that's when I think I'll, I'll start drawing a line. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. So like along that, um, along that privacy tract, 
So there's there's been news, I believe it's on the verge, that uh, Amazon is facing some trouble over in the EU um, for selling uh, for you for the for use of third party seller data. So you know it's really strong over there. The the, the rules and regulations are, are strong, right? You know GDPR and a bunch of other things, you know, and and it is very difficult to comply if you don't have the right things in place and you don't have the right processes and systems and stuff in place. Um, it, it's easy to comply when you have that, but when you don't, it's really hard. So, you know, making sense of that, you know, where where where's the line drawn here in the states? Um, so the day job as partners of a couple organizations, one being Microsoft, we have to comply with privacy rules that are, are you know, akin to GDPR. They're very similar, the same, actually. Um, we have suppliers and customers that have multiple geos and they're in protected areas. So we always have to have that in mind. But for the day job, I just find it, uh, it's either a bold move by somebody like Amazon to just like throw that to the wind or somebody was asleep at the wheel for an organization of that magnitude. Um, they either took a calculated gamble on an interpretation and they are potentially going to lose that. So I don't know if you saw that, that article, it was, uh, it kind of came out today. I believe it was, yeah, it was on the verge. Um, so it's super, uh, Privacy seems to be surfacing itself uh, more and more on the heels of the things that happened with George Floyd, with all the video being taken. We see here more and more of like people now in public. I don't know. You're in public spaces. Your 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 image and your likeness is fair game. Um, so people are now like all concerned that they're going to get videotaped and it's going to ruin their life. Well, if you're not doing anything that would require your life to be ruined, um, then you have nothing to worry about. Likewise, businesses, if you're being good stewards of data and following the rules, you have nothing to worry about. So, you know, we stop and we think, I think, you know, it's it's a very simple thing. Are you doing the right thing or are you taking a risk and calculate a gamble that something won't happen? Or are you arrogant enough to think that we're big enough that nothing's going to happen? That's the challenge. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I don't have any audio from you, buddy. Uh, the dog was doing his thing. Ah. Um, I think that um, with all the things going on in the in the world right now, I think it's important for organizations of, of any kind of size to speak up on what's right, um, not only politically, but socially and the like. And a big part of that is technology. And a big part of that is privacy with technology and, and et cetera. You know, you see, I've gotten emails from pretty much every organization that has my email address about their opinions on social issues and also what they're doing for privacy. And not only that, you know, going back, which is still a thing, but it's kind of overshadowed at this point with with COVID and how they're being cleanly and and what their plans are for social distancing and all that. Um, I think just taking a step back and looking at it kind of overarchingly, it's interesting that the organizations are stepping up um, and some are stepping up in ways that are, I guess I should say, I, I personally approve of and some maybe not so much, um, but at least they're making their stand and, and, and making a point, which I think is, is important. Yes, absolutely. Um, that is, that is critical that, you know, you're, you're doing the right thing. And if you do the right thing, you have, uh, 
yeah, tip of the hat. I think it'll above and beyond and make sure, you know, you're an example and others are doing the right thing. You don't just get a, a nod and a tip of the hat. You get, you get praise in my books. So there are organizations out there doing the right thing. Um, you know, we saw this with, with Microsoft feeding kids in schools and, 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 and paying their, even their non Microsoft people that were, you know, hourly workers, you know, taking care of their, making sure that, you know, moving into, into more recent events, making sure that, you know, everybody's opinions matter and everything is important to, everyone else so that you you're heard um you know so so that's important you know a lot of a lot of frustration and and, and pent up like let, let's 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 take out any current events let's look at it from a worker perspective so if you're a worker in a business and you don't feel heard you sit and simmer and stew and if you're sitting and simmering and stewing then the next thing you know you're not happy and if you're not happy you're not producing and if you're not producing you're not helping the business and it's just a toxic environment. So, you know, we, we see that in our political world. We see that in our medical world. We see that in our business world. And we even sometimes see that in our personal lives. Some, you know, some people's personal interactions are toxic. So if you're trying to do the right thing and you're, you know, not thinking of self first, generally you come out on the right side of the uh, right side of the, uh, of the equation. So and this is a big departure, you know, from at least what I had from an agenda, but I think it's worth talking about. Yeah. I think it's one of the things that are on a lot of people's mind, especially as of late. So definitely, definitely a good call out. Yep, for sure. So, you know, we might even have a bonus around, um, inclusion and diversity and things like that, a bonus episode that's a little more uh, hard hitting and impactful. So, Let's just uh, let's put that off to the side for now and, and, and touch on some things that I saw on the Internet, some Q&A. I promised or, or at least stated that we're trying to get some, to some Q&A. Um, now, I'm going to randomly – I have read, I have a tab with Lightning the Mood. I'm a tab with Reddit and I'm a tab with the Microsoft Azure group on uh, Facebase. And then I have a, another site that we're named Nameless that is – full of a bunch of Azure questions. So I'm going to do a random, um, okay, watch, look, Logitech mouse, you know, you can turn it to clicky. It's, it's full, full, full spoon, no clicky. I'll do a full mm-hmm. spin, full spin and see where we land. Top question gets asked and then we try to figure it out for them. Oh, there we go. All right. So this one was on face space. I will anonymize it because we don't have the rights to call out the person and or content because it is face space. But the general tone is that I used the Azure calculator. Oh, this is so unreal. If this question come up, I use the Azure calculator to determine a cost per month along with redundancy. And it is five times more expensive than any other option that I have found. And I'm going to, again, anonymize this bits. We have X amount of gigabyte of storage for files and X amount of gigabytes in SQL databases. And we average around 600 users a day for an informational website. So it would be a web app 
and they're complaining or at least shooting the thing off. What in the world? The calculator is totally crazy. Why would I ever do this when I can go somewhere else? So I already got a first impression on this because I deal with that calculator issue all the time, but I'm going to let you start. So I definitely hear that a lot, even not this is more expensive than the alternative. It's just, wow, this is more expensive than what I could do on prem or, or what have you. And I think that there's a couple factors at play there. Number one, making sure that the pieces of the puzzle that you have in there are actually what you need is something that an architect would first like to review. Sometimes you add items in, um, you know, VMs or, or what have you that maybe you don't need. Um, so that would be my first thought. Um, my second thought would be, PaaS solutions versus um, IaaS solutions. Obviously, there's going to be uh, an economy of scale um, cost efficiency there. Uh, maybe you're trying to do a lift and shift methodology, but it might make more sense uh, from a cost perspective to go ahead and invest in the PaaS solution rather than an IaaS solution upfront. Um, and finally, a lot of the times people overestimate the amount of time things are going to be running or messages that are going to be sent through or data that's going to be handled. Um, they're kind of trying to do a worst case scenario. Um, whereas a lot of times Azure either has some defaults built in. So sometimes you, know, you get a million messages for this or you get a free uh, five gigs of that or, or what have you. And some people don't read those fine details. So they're overestimating. Uh, and whereas a lot of the times they can uh, usually get off with a lot less um, and, and be safe with that. So those are the kind of the items I see most, most normally. Yeah, I agree. That calculator, in my opinion, is the one of the greatest things and worst things from from what we do for a living. Because some people like don't even look at things because to your the, the points you made, like okay, geo redundancies on, and we have not only just geo redundancy in each geo, we have triple internal. So like you're paying for six copies of everything. I mean, is that what you really need? And especially if you're that cost conscious, that is an extra you know three hundred to a thousand dollars a month. I mean, obviously, every penny matters, especially around the. I'm not minimizing that, but I'm just saying if if you're a whole lock, stock, and barrel, and you're saving, you know, between three hundred and a thousand dollars a month, or spending more than, um, that's one of those things where it's like there there's a choice or something that wasn't right. Um, so I almost I almost wish that we go back to just the pure partner calculators, but I know we want to enable people uh, to do as much as they can themselves. So it is a challenge picking the right stuff, and you know that was the thing that comment is like the calculator is great because it gives you an idea if you know what you're doing, and then number two is that it's can be a disservice to getting people on Azure if they don't know what they're doing, and then also. Really, you just need to know what you need. And that's why people like us are here. And even as advisory, you know, if you plan on doing it yourself to save money, whatever, that's great. Just enlist somebody for advisory stuff. You know, there are people out there that do that kind of thing. All right. Next question. Are we good? Are we putting that one to bed? I think so. All right. Next question. So I don't have my little, I don't have my stream deck up for the bell. Damn. Believe that? I should have done that. It's like, that's like a that's like a podcast faux pas. What are you doing? I know. I failed. We're not following agenda and I don't have my bell going. All right, so back to it. So oh, man. I'm anonymizing this here. Uh, so they need to set up some IS stuff, some infrastructure for about twenty people. 
that are globally dispersed and it's a startup and they want to do everything in the cloud. And some of their concerns are effective collaboration platforms, uh, private email addresses. They need to outfit them with a standard and secure Windows experience. And um, what other requirements? Oh, they are, they are, I already mentioned they're globally spread. Uh, what options can we do and how do we set this up? So I'm going to lead off and then I'm going to pass to you. So a bunch of these things, it's a combination of services. I know we said Azure questions, but I think it's more cloud questions. It seems like part of what they want to do is actually Microsoft 365. And then the other part of what they want to do is inside of Azure. So when you're a small organization and you want to move and you want to simplify, you don't want to, you don't want to have to have that crazy IT team swatting in to fix your anywhere from a handful to a couple hundred people. There's things you can do in Azure and 365. So number one, Exchange Online, that is Office 365 bits or Microsoft 365 mail. Uh, collaboration teams, uh, sharing teams, communicating teams. So that's a common thread here, teams, teams, teams. And then on top of that, they need to put software development tools on these Windows machines and have those Windows machines. So do you, would you want to go out and provision and remotely support all those people? I would not. So Negative, especially, especially not today. Especially not today. And it's, it's a globally dis dispersed team. So I then would lean towards uh, Windows VDI solution, Microsoft VDI. So you can create that environment, create a gold standard for your knowledge workers and your developers. Uh, they might be one and the same or they might be separate, but you can have multiple different types of images and serve that up as virtual de desktop infrastructure. I wouldn't even think of layering in Citrix or other things on top at this point because it is that small amount of people and it scales massively large. Um, also, when you start looking at the VDI solution, when I was talking about knowledge workers versus engineering people, there's, there's also engineering as in computer engineering. There's also flavors of Windows Virtual Desktop. So if you can throw the desktop away, like you log in, it brings your profiles and connects to your storage and your OneDrive, and you can do what you need to do. When you're done, it tears it down and throws it away. That's cheaper than a persistent where you're storing the hard drive and storing it as a true virtual machine. Uh, and those ver those true virtual machines have categories. They call them uh, Windows Office users. And then there's also, I believe they call them engineering users. I'd have to look at the exact terminology. But one is built for just your regular knowledge worker and it scales in memory and size. But the other one is built for like those superpower users that need that extra compute and the extra resources, maybe even some videos coming across the wire. So that traditionally that's been a challenge, making sure the mouth lines up with the, the audio and, and, and doing those kind of things, let alone running engineering, massive engineering applications for developers and or true architects and engineers. Uh, for like buildings and bridges and stuff. All that stuff can all be done on virtual desktop infrastructure. I might have covered all that just because I couldn't stop talking, but is there anything you're going to add on that? Yeah. Um, the thing that I always um, really like to to work on, I love it when, I, when a customer starts talking about being globally dispersed because my security little 
feelers go up. Um, and if there's any globally diverse situations in a country such as, um, well, in Europe, I should say, in general with GDPR, um, it might be important to investigate some sort of security measures to keep data sovereignty where it needs to be. Um, you know, things like DLP, AIP, ATP, IRM, all of that is fully capable of uh, being integrated within um, uh, within teams now. It wasn't always the case, but obviously being a teams forward organization, they're, uh, they're integrating all of that stuff into teams. So being able to keep things sovereign and, and pointing in the right direction and making sure that people get access that should have access and otherwise not. I think that's that's very important. So um, keep that in mind as well. Uh, whoever asked that question, the security is something that you definitely want to to look at, and it's easiest or it's best and easiest done uh, in parallel with your deployments. You can really see what pieces you need up front, what pieces can be moved to phase two, but at least have that conversation about what you should be looking at. Yep, agreed. Next question I see here uh, on the spin and wait. The top question I had, a transparency, it was a little bit past the top. I'm still going to take it because the, que the, the question is strikingly uh, uh, important to me. Uh, strikingly important. That's not going to language, but I'm taking my Azure exam certification exams, and I want to know if I should be using something like Measure Up. Go for it. Yo, you want me to go? I thought you were going first. No, oh, I went first last one. This one's yours. <laughs> okay. This one is interesting to me. So I think back in gonna, the day, I'm going to pa pa pause you. I have a feeling we're going to be a difference of opinions on this one, but go ahead. Okay. I think back in the day, the answer was absolutely yes. It definitely helped me uh, prepare for a lot of. Uh, exams in the past. However, now that the exams are moving towards um, kind of show us what you know, yeah, practical situations rather than just ABCD, I don't know how effective it's going to be. And I think it's going to, to it's going to make things like measure up and et cetera, which they may already have done this. I haven't looked in, in, a, in a while, but um, it's going to make them kind of change the way their, their practice exams look um, just to make it meaningful. I mean, they have to do that to keep their, their company relevant. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm not the type of learner that can grab a textbook, read it cover to cover and be like, yeah, I'm going to go nail this. I either have to do it or I have to, you know, have some questions asked like that or see it in a, in a video or, or do it in practice, like I said. Um, so it helped me immensely. I don't know if it's going to help everybody. I know, you know, some people, my wife being one of them, can literally read a textbook cover to cover and actually do the things in that textbook. It blows my mind. I, I just don't learn that way. I, I get bored and trail off and my mind starts thinking about rockets or something. Um, but I think that for some people, it's going to be super helpful. Uh, for others, not so much. It definitely depends on what type of exam you're taking. Yeah, so maybe we're not going to differ in this one. So I, I think I think the measure up days are past us. I I mean, again, I'm in the same boat as you. I haven't been on there, and I, jeez, I can't tell you how long. Um, I know a lot of a lot of those type organizations actually did more harm than good because it basically turned certification mill mentality on where I just need to know these to get my 700 points so I can get my stamp on my forehead and carry on. Um, so 
I know people swear by being able to get measure up plus second chance all together so that if you, you know, if you tank it, you can go back, you figure out how close you were, bone up on the things that were you're, you're deficient in. Um, but I will say that I, I think one of the best places that I'm going to sound like such a Microsoft shill. I know I always do. And this is truly how, <laughs> this is truly how I believe this is not me being a shill. Um, you know, the new Microsoft learn mentality is, is really, I think one of your best places to start. I mean, even if you know the material, the things that you miss out on, on the detail is where you get burned on a lot of these exams, right? You know, understanding the PowerShell line, there's like, you know, switching and flagging and formatting, you know, sometimes they throw up 10 different things and they all look the same, but there's a variant in between them. And, and so, so Microsoft learn, I think is a really decent platform for that uh, because it is hands-on. So I think I might have mentioned in a previous show that um, during build, I attended one of those learn for student people trying to, you know, just so I can see what that experience was. And, um, Darned it if I didn't go into learning during the session, everybody logged in and followed along and did their bits. I continued it all the way to the end um, because, you know, you're in there and you were, we were actually writing code and getting output. And it was all in these nice containerized environments. So you didn't have to have your environment on your machine set up just yet because, you know, that does take a little to do, which, you know, we our day job. We are, we are already there. But the experience is so much, I think, so much more tactile, hands on that it seems to stick more. Now, you still need to be able to answer those questions and you still need to be able to, to drill yourself on those questions. And I think a more cost-effective mechanism than a measure up is something like a Udemy because they have tons of sales all the time. And their tests are, all once you own the test, it's not like it expires like some of these test things do, you have it forever. And as it gets updated, uh, as long as the life of the test is there, you get access to that. So it's nice to go back and say, oh, here's here's a, their new way of thinking and run through it and, and uh, re-emphasize and reinforce what you have known. So that being said, I'm a big plural site person too, um, which note to self, subscription is due in June. So um, Pluralsight is very similar to Udemy from uh, like, hey, here's some content and how to do it. But Udemy, you can get just the practice exams. I know Pluralsight does have some of that, but it's one of those things that uh, I think the combination of them all should work out just fine. And I think too, just as a caveat, as the exams are going more practical, I do see value still in the kind of textual type questions because I can't tell you how many times, I mean, the, when the, when you're reading the questions, you kind of, I know we joke all the time. We're like, wow, that's such a Microsoft question or wow, that could be answered in a couple different ways. And you may or may not like the answer and blah, blah, blah. We, we joke about that too. Um, however, I think that it's great, great preparation for the architect level people on getting actual questions that people are going to ask you in the field. Um, I can't tell you how many times that somebody asks a very similar question that I saw on a, uh, on a um, Microsoft question. So it's definitely huge to uh, be familiar with that, that type of thing. Yeah, definitely cool. So the next question is, is when is lists going to be released? <laughs> I wish I knew. That's actually my question. I haven't looked it up in a minute. You want to give us an overview of lists while I pull up the next, uh, the next question? 
Sure. Yeah. So lists, I think we talked um, in a couple shows ago now when we were talking about build, but lists is a super awesome uh, new feature released at build that um, basically takes the list feature of SharePoint and then kind of extrapolates that. Um, I think that's important for a number of reasons. Um, first and foremost, making it kind of more easily accessible than rather than diving into SharePoint, you have it all listed there. Um, if anybody's ever used Airtable, it's kind of, I don't want to say a competitor because it, it has a lot more innate um, capabilities, um, but it's definitely something that you should keep your eye on. It'll be super helpful for somebody, especially in the Power Platform developer sphere that wants to have more of a SQL-esque database than just an Excel spreadsheet or, or even a, a SharePoint list um, that doesn't want to go to the extra step of a SQL, a SQL database, a full-blown SQL database. So it'll be something I think super, super nice for that kind of middle ground developer. And um like me, <laughs> and I'm definitely excited to to see what where that takes us. Excellent, excellent. So I'm going to give you a trick one, something I know that you've done recently. I had this on my list. I actually found it. I wanted to bring it up because I think it's useful for everyone out there to have an understanding of this. And I'm going to lay out the scenario, and I want you to tell me how to overcome that challenge. You ready? This will be the last one. Oh, boy. All right. Buckled up. Oh, I'm buckled. All right, here we go. My machine, not necessarily mine, I'm speaking on behalf of the, the person asking the question. My machine would not allow me to install Visio. I am responsible for documenting and creating new drawings of all of our systems for our official document of record system. And when I go to install it, it will not allow me to install Visio. 32-bit or 64-bit? Why can I install Visio? Do you remember the answer to this one? I think it has something to do with the um, office deployment tool and click to run and all of that thing that confuses me and makes me want to throw my laptop out the window every time I play with it. And every yeah. time, every, the best part is every time you answer that, I uh, say a lot of explicit language that I'm not going to say on the podcast, so I'd have to check the explicit box. And I want to throw my laptop out the window anyway, because every time I go to install it, I forget about it. And I'm like, why doesn't this work? And you're like, use ODT. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. ODT is the, the answer there. So if you have the click the run version of Office install, which is been touted as the way to install Office because it keeps things nice and fresh and up to date. And well, the challenges is installing um you know, the downloadable or even retail versions of software because of the way Office is installed, it, do, it just does not does not work well with each other, right? So you called it out right. It's the click-to-run version uh, uh, that, that you'll need to get configured. And so the Office Deployment Toolkit is your answer there. So if you're an IT pro and you need to do documentation, or and this works for more than just Visio. It also works for Project. Uh, project is another one of those after-the-fact things. Now... Obviously, there's things that answer that question of like, why are you installing that when there's Visio online and project online? We all know there's always a use case for you to have that, that 
traditional install happening. And especially if you're going to do some crazy stencily things, it, it's sometimes easier to take your entitlement that you may already have that will that needs to be installed as opposed to buying a, a subscription version. So if you get the Office Deployment Toolkit, what you need to do is create a manifest XML configuration that you have to go through, you can go to a web page, the ODT will point you there, and you basically create an XML file that includes things like language, you put your key in there, you put how you want it to be updated, a series of other important things that you would next, 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 yes, that get answered by the system automatically or by you. You get that XML file, and then that ODT toolkit will have a setup.exe. When you download it and install it, you just set up exe space, and you path it to where your configuration is. And then it immediately goes and either pulls, if you specify that configuration to be local media or pull the latest from online. And I always do the latest from online. I download the ISO, but I never use it. It's just extremely lame. Um, I should just, I should just save the space and, you know, save it for something more better. But uh, I always go and I pull the latest down so I don't have to update it. It's coming down. It's, the bits are updated out there when I pull it in. And uh, you pull it in and then you, it validates your key. You can have it activate automatically provided you're not out of Mac activations, it's uh, up and running. And if it's uh, you've already signed in with your Office Online account because you clicked a run sign in, it will look at your Office service and then map you right into that. So you're gold, good to go. And I think the most important call out there is the the website because sometimes even IT pros in the XML, they get a little... Yeah. XML. Um, but there, there is a, uh, there is an online tool that basically builds that for you. Uh, and then you can tweak the XML as you want, but you don't have to start net new with the XML. You can kind of click through and then get an XML that's fully functional. And if you need to make any tweaks on it later, you can. Yeah, for sure. That's a, that's a great point because the XMLs that come with it, you'll have to go in there and edit them and you'll need to know what the different things that are asking you. And if you don't know the attributes, you're sunk. So yeah, definitely good stuff. I think we're running. Are we running on time today? How are we doing today? Do we got time for for a video? Uh, we have to do a video. So go ahead, and then we'll close it up after that. All right. So for the video, I had in my list here um, one from May 26, 2020 on the IT Ops talk. And it's Azure Unblogged Open Source at Microsoft. So I, I thought this was a pretty decent video. It is run the run times around 19 and a half to 20 minutes. Essentially, they talk about Microsoft's open source strategy, what partnerships they have, um, how they're dealing with uh, external open source companies and how Microsoft truly is uh, has embraced that. And they've embraced the, the mentality of we're just not going to sell you bits. We're going to sell you quality service to run your stuff on. So I think it's definitely good. Uh, a couple highlights, uh, again, Microsoft Azure open source, um, the links to the open source blog running Linux on Azure, uh, which open source releases are out there, uh, how to build apps with Node.js, Python, and Insert free language here. Uh, subsystem for Linux. So I that's something I think we really need to create its own video on. I've done that uh, multiple times on all my machines. I think it's invaluable to have, especially when you when you're talking about flipping data centers and you want to be able to, you know, bounce things off of Linux boxes and write code and without having to stand up a virtual machine, you can do that as just part of the subsystem. Super cool. So the link will be in the show notes. Aside from that, uh, 
thanks for bearing with us today. It was a little, we we're a little all over the place, weren't we? We were, but I think it was a good one. Uh, you know, and I'll, I'll sign off my, my half today on, on just saying, you know, kind of mirroring what we talked about earlier, um, stay safe out there for, for more than one reason and support the, 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 in, industries and and also political avenues that speak to you um and uh stay safe while also standing up for what you believe in absolutely uh stay safe everyone and uh just remember you know, be your best self and you have not much to worry about be the, be the best version of yourself and that's ever used um do the right thing and um generally you'll be pointed in a good direction. So thank you everyone. Have a great day. Goodbye. Bye. Today's show is produced by Mr. Wentworth, directed by Michael Askins. Graphics and artwork provided by Art by Sophia, edited by Mr. Wentworth. Visit the show notes for terms and conditions.